Sorry, you're not in stereo anymore. Good All right. morning and good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It's Wacky Wednesday, mm. but I have nothing wacky to report on. But I think no. Raj does have some wacky stuff. <laughs> you, you're the guy oh. who has the Wacky News Network or whatever. <laughs> I don't have any source for that. I've tried to look up I, a I, European I specifically source for, for Wacky him. News, but I've never found anything. So... I'm specifically on the prowl on Wednesday, just for those kind of stories that aren't in the headlines, necessarily. Okay, well, I'm ready to go, so let's go with our headlines. Alright. Today on Before Coffee, Spain's Conservative Party leader proposed as PM despite no majority. Supply chain shortages delay tech sector's AI bonanza. Tory MP accuses Greeks of opportunism over missing British museum item. And we and Weird Wednesday, we have all the dirty details on this year's strange mushroom season in Colorado. First, not for EU labels appear on supermarket food in Northern Ireland. And in cultural news, who were the characters in the band's anthem The Wait? Based on today. On August 23rd, 2023, 823-23 edition of Before Coffee. All right. Oh, shit. Oh, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> Let's go ahead and start with the first news story. I was like, very hard huh? to control the stream without my iPad, which stopped working for some reason. And oh. I haven't had time to fix it. So I have to use my mouse and it hurts my hand to use the small it's okay. well, laptop That's mouse. okay. It's live. It's live. Just uh... No, I, to do all the stuff I do live, I need my iPad, basically. It makes everything way quicker. Anyways, first story. Spain, I, I remember two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we were talking about how Spain is currently trying to get a new prime minister. They didn't get enough voting last time, so they were voting again, try again to get a prime minister. And this the time... The order one from the catalog. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's basically what they're doing. Despite no majority, <laughs> they're pushing the conservative party leader. Of course, oh, God. Of course, he would say, hey, can I be leader? You know, it, it doesn't work when you are the person who's up for being leader and saying, I think we should choose me, you know? That's a leader. Instead of, Dude, instead of like some third party deciding who should be it. No, you just say, uh -huh. I think it should be me, guys. Yeah. Any reasons? Uh, anyway, I'm right about Stephen everything. Bergen in Barcelona. The leader of Spain's Conservative People's Party has put forward to be Prime Minister, in a move that seems doomed to fail and has not secured enough votes to command a majority. In accordance with protocol, King Philippe VI proposed Alberto Viejo for the investiture on Tuesday night on the grounds that his party won the most votes in last month's general election, which produced a hung parliament. People's Party won 137 votes with its allies in the far-right Vox Party, plus two smaller, two smaller parties, and muster a total of 172 votes, short of the 176 needed for a majority. So even with three, 15 other parties, they still can't make a majority. As things stand, Fierro has no other possible allies. Pedro Sanchez, leader of the incumbent Socialist Workers' Party coalition government, told the king that his party and his allies could garner 178 votes. Yeah, so maybe he should be the prime minister, not the guy who came and get the majority. Ever since the votes were counted on July 23rd, Viejo has seemed determined in his attempt to be invested as prime minister despite the fact that the smaller parties that have supported the Conservatives in the past have made it clear that they would not enter a coalition that includes the Vox Party. Spain, I'm, that, I'm so proud of that, you know, that's something to be proud of. Because so many, especially in Europe where you have multiple parties, they'll join the coalition with the far right who want to ban, you know, immigrants and kill all brown people and all this sort of stuff. And they're like, yeah, well, we've always been with the conservative party. Yeah, but they're siding with the Vox, you know, the, the far right people who are crazy. And in uh -huh. Spain, they're saying, fuck that. We're not going to be in a party with people who are going to fundamentally try to alter 
the, uh, the progression of our society. So <laughs> we're going to... Tough luck, Viejo. We're not joining your party. Spain is, is a parliamentary monarchy, and it's the duty of the king is to propose a candidate from prime minister to parliament. In a communique on Tuesday night, the palace said the king was putting Viejo forward because the People's Party was the political group that obtained the most seats on the 23rd of July, adding that this was a customary in a democracy that the candidate with the most votes should be given the opportunity. In a statement, Viejo said, I am putting myself forward to represent the immense majority who wish to preserve democratic dignity for which so many have fought, and that he was not only four votes short of a majority. Votes... The vote is not expected until next week, and assuming Fejo fails, Sanchez will have to persuade the conservative nationalists of Together for Cat Catalonia to vote for him if he is to have a chance of continuing to govern. Failing that, the country will have to go to the polls in December for the sixth time in seven years. So that's our short story on the Spanish government update here. Uh, so factionalized. That, yeah. I'm hoping Bunch that... Bunch of splitters. Uh, they're gonna fail. <laughs> As they say in Life of Brian, splitters. Yeah, and we will see. Not the what Judean People's that. Front. The Judean People's Front is always fighting with the People's Front of Judea, because we know one of them is seriously wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Your story. Okay. And uh, we're gonna talk about AI, which is about to take over us, whether we want it or not, in serious ways. We won't notice it until it's too late, but hey, laissez-faire capitalism, here we are. We'll send you a, okay, it's not, this is again, this is from Financial Times. I'm reading advertising, so we'll start over. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Hill in Taipei and Kianar Lee in Hong Kong. This is from Financial Times. Investors are set to assess whether their enormous demand for artificial intelligence products can help offset a slump in global sales for computer hardware when NVIDIA reports quarterly results on Wednesday. The U.S. group said in its previous earnings report that the demand for its processors for training language models such as OpenAI's ChatGPT would drive up revenues by nearly two-thirds and help quadruple its earnings per share in the three months to the end of July. The world's most valuable chipmaker now plans to at least triple the production of its top H100 AI processor, according to the three people close to NVIDIA, with shipments between 1.5 MN and 2... 1.5 MM and 2... MN H100. So what's MN stand for? I am not privy to that information. <laughs> Uh, in 2004, we represent a massive jump in the 500,000 expected this year with the AI processor directly sold out in, I think it's nano, no, 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 it's mi micro N. I'm not sure what that means. No, not sure, not up on it. With AI processors already sold, were already sold into 2024, the massive thirst for NVIDIA's chips is getting the broader market for computing equipment as big buyers pour investment into AI at the expense of general purpose servers. Boxcon, the world's largest contract electronics manufacturer by revenues, last week forecast very strong demand for AI servers for years to come, but also warned overall server revenues would fall this year. Lenovo, the world's biggest computer maker by units shipped, last week reported an 8% revenue drop for the second quarter, which attributed soft server demand from cloud service providers, CSPs, and shortages of AI processors, GPUs. CSPs are shifting their demand from the traditional computers to AI servers, but unfortunately, the AI server supply is constrained by the GPU supply, said Yang Yuanqing. Lenovo Chief Executive, Lenovo. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, the world's largest contract chip maker by revenues and exclusive producer of NVIDIA's cutting edge AI processors, predicted last month that demand for AI server chips would grow by almost 50% annually for the next five years. However, it said it was not enough to offset downward pressures from the global tech slump 
caused by economic downturn. In the U.S., cloud service providers such as Microsoft, Amazon, and Google, which account for the lion's share of the global server server market, are switching their focus to building up the AI infrastructure. The weak overall economic environment is challenging for the U.S. CSPs, said Angela Sang, Vice President at KGI at Taipei-based brokerage, since AI service servers since in AI servers, every component needs to be upgraded, the price is a lot higher. The CSPs are aggressively expanding in AI servers, but that was not in the cards when capital expenditure budgets were drafted, so the expansion is cannibalizing the other spending. Globally, CSP capital expenditures are expected to grow by just 8% this year, down from 25% growth in 22, according to the counterpart. According to Comport Research, as interest rates rise and businesses cut back. There you go, there's that recession we wanted. Industry research from firm Trendforce expects global server shipments to decrease by 6% this year and forecasts a return to only modest growth of 2% and 3% in 24. It points to the decision by Meta Platforms to slash server purchases by more than 10% to channel investment towards AI hardware and delays in Microsoft upgrades to its general purpose servers to free up funds for AI server expansion. Besides the NVIDIA chip shortages, analysts point to other bottlenecks in the supply chain or delaying AI harvest for the hardware sector. There's a capacity shortage both on advanced packaging and high bandwidth memory, both which are limiting production output said Brady Wang, a counterpoint analyst. The TSMC plans to double its capacity for Kowos, an advanced packaging technology needed to make NVIDIA's H100 processor, but warned that the bottleneck would not be resolved until at least 2024. The two main suppliers, HBM, are South Korea's SK Hynix and Samsung. And this story goes on for quite a bit after this. And we got the history of electronics, the history of numbers. Let's see. Uh, fires discovered, the wheel. Okay. All right. We covered it all. Your story. Some of these people just really want to expound, expound on stuff. Hello. Wow. I was moving my light. Are you at all? Okay. Now I'm slightly invisible. It's fine. Next story. <laughs> Let's go to upgrade uh, updates on the British uh, Museum. I think I don't know if we covered this story, but I at some point last I think last week or the week before. Somebody stole some stuff from the museum. They found out mm -hmm. it was just some uh, workers there. Right. Stealing stuff or reclaiming stuff, probably, because it's the British Museum, which famously steals other people's stuff and then puts it in a box. <laughs> They're called archaeologists, man. And a Tory MP is now accusing Greeks of trying to claim certain stuff from the British Museum because of the missing items. It's from PA Media. Chair of Parliament's all-party parliamentary group for the British Museum has accused the Greek has accused Greece of blatant opportunism in claiming the institution is not safe following thefts from the museum. Give our stuff back. You're not safe enough to hold our stuff. The British Museum announced last week that items from its collection were found to be missing, stolen, or damaged, and police are investigating. The museum is taking legal action against a member of staff who has been sacked. Or, for people who are not British, they've been fired. Tim Lofton told BBC Radio's 4 today, today's program that news of items going missing from the museum's collections in London was damaging, but the institution was taking the thefts seriously. The MP, who has been in touch with his museum, added for reinsurance, people want to know the extent of the objects that have, been, have disappeared, what inv investigations took place at the time when various reports came in, and what is being done now, because otherwise it's getting out of hand. The museum has not specified how many items have been stolen or detailed what the missing items are, saying only that they were small pieces, including gold jewelry and gems of semi-precious stones and glass dating from 15th century BC to the 19th century AD. 
The Times has reported that the thefts happened over the last two decades. Lawton, who is particularly damaged, has said, what is particularly damaging is the blatant opportunism of the Greeks and others, saying, oh no, the British Museum is not safe. It's incredibly rare that things go missing. Lawton's comments came in response to the head of the Association of Greek Archaeologists, Despina Kutsumba, saying her colleagues were worried about how many Greek items were missing. She told the BBC, we want to tell the British Museum that they cannot anymore say that Greek culture heritage is more protected than the British Museum. It is obvious that it's very well protected in Greece and not in British museums. Greece has been campaigning for decades for the return of the Parthenon sculptures, which once adorned the Parthenon at the Acropolis in Athens. The country has long claimed they were illegally required during a period of foreign occupation. Yes, I remember. Yes, I remember this in history. The British did occupy Greece for a while. I think during... Was it during World War I? This is after the Ottoman Empire had collapsed, I believe. Some, sometime between World War I and World War II, I think they occupied Greece for a short while. I'll have to look up my history after, after during your story. But I think that's what happened. Um, uh, where was I? Okay. While British officials have rebuffed repeated demands for their return, Lawton has asked about emails leaked to the BBC News that claimed that the British Museum was alerted to the thefts in 2021 and ignored the report. He said, with respect, all that comes out is a few emails rather than the bigger picture. But the British Museum will need to account for what is, what, for what, or that because if people are trying to report potential objects having appeared outside of the museum, then absolutely those need to be investigated and potentially referred to by the police. So what action was taken? What checks and balances are there at the museum? Also putting into context, the British Museum has the most online documented collection of any major museum in the world. There are over two million of its objects available online to see. This is all stuff Lawton has said, that all of those were quotes he has said. Christopher Mar Marninello, a lawyer and expert in recovering stolen art, said the theft exposed at the museum uh, questions over the safety of the ancient sculptures. He said, it makes one wonder whether the Parthenon marble are safe in the British Museum after all. Perhaps they should be returned to the museum in Athens for their security. So a lot of people are just, yeah, let the Greeks have their statues back. <laughs> Even the lawyers are like, yeah, I can understand why the Greeks want their statues back. Uh, the Daily Telegraph has reported that the number of stolen items is believed to be well over a thousand and closer to two thousand, with a value running into millions of pounds. An independent review of security has been launched, and the matter is also under investigation for the economic crime command of the Metropolitan Police. No arrests have been made. The review will be led by former museum trustee Sir Nigel Boardman and Lucy Doersi, the Chief Constable Nigel. of British Transport Police. So there's your update on the Greeks wanting their statues back and the British Museum being the British Museum. Alright, you had a Nigel in there too. Yeah. We're not the Hurricane Nigel yet. We're still in, I think we're in H. At least Atlantic Beach. All right. In fungus news, we have a story from Colorado. Shelley Reardon for the Aspen Times. All the dirty details of this year's strange mushroom season in Colorado. Fungi are already pretty, already perplexing. They're not an animal nor a plant, but provide crucial support to both while serving as one of the planet's main decomposers. But the fruiting bodies of Fungi, widely known as mushrooms, are acting especially strange this year in Colorado. A wet spring was expected to create a moist haven for mushrooms across the state this summer, but the organisms were just starting to appear. It's a very strange season because we are late, said John Somer, the president of the Colorado Mycological Society. We're late, behind in everything. We had all that rain earlier, but we're expecting lots of mushrooms, but they didn't grow because it was cool. Despite the heat wave hitting much of the state in July, soil temperatures remain cool for excessive moisture acquired throughout the spring. So the summer mushrooms, which typically make themselves known when the soil reaches 60 degrees Fahrenheit, remain hidden. But they're starting up here now. We're definitely expecting abundance, Sommer said. We haven't seen it yet, but we're expecting it. Typically, mushroom season begins towards the end of June and can last through September, usually cutting off when conditions get too dry or too cold. The last two years have been especially good for mushrooms, despite 
varying amounts of moisture, so it's hard to forecast how mushroom season will turn out. 21 was probably the, one of the best years in 30 or 40 years, he said. Mushrooms have been increasing in abundance and so have theirs those searching for them the popularity in mycology and foraging in general has become as as bloomed sorry over recent years which has been reflected in the membership of the denver-based colorado mycological society we went from 200 members to 2,000 members in five years somer said and during that pandemic just and during the pandemic it just exploded it just mushroomed he said he's he made a fun Fungi are literally everywhere across the planet on every continent. Still, when it comes to finding mushrooms, you have to know where to look. In Colorado, any forest is a great starting point. Like wildflowers, mushrooms appear at, at lower elevations first and the peak bloom shifts up to the mountains later in the year. But there are some important things to know before you start turning over logs. You must be skilled enough to identify mushrooms with mushrooms to eat you never want to do this by just looking on the internet or in a book you must have hands-on experience with somebody who at least knows a particular species that you're hunting that's a critical thing some of the most populous mushrooms in colorado are porcinis including the boletus rubriceps and the boletus edulis also known as the king bolet they're Relatively easy to, easy to identify. They're big. You can get them 12 inches across. They're delicious edibles when you get them fresh. Chanterelles are found in the western side of the state. They're more, more than anywhere else in Colorado and frequently sought out by foragers. Mats, matsuteke mushrooms. Matsuteke mushrooms are prized in Japan, according to the summer. They can be found under lodgepole pines. Mushrooms can be found under trees and alongside rotting logs, but each species has its own preferences. So finding a guide to going with finding a guide or going with a friend who knows their stuff is the best practice when it comes to more mushroom foraging. The best reason to go with someone with expertise is to avoid the risk of getting sick. Edible mushrooms can be tricky to identify and often have lookalikes that are less friendly. Or but on the bright side, you will hallucinate before you die. Luckily, we don't have the deadly toxic mushrooms in Colorado, but there are plenty around that'll make you sick. Okay, they won't kill you, but they'll just make you vomit for a week. In western Colorado, there's ample forest space to explore and find mushrooms. White River National Forest and Route National Forest require permit to collect mushrooms for personal use. If permits are free, the White River National Forest gives up 125 permits a year. There's no limit on many permits the forest gives out a year. Personal use permits are also free in the Rote National Forest, while commercial permits are $20. The forest in north, northwest Colorado also, also offers specific collection zones. Mushrooms can be gathered from most U.S. Forest Service land, except for wild wilderness areas, research natural areas, and special interest areas. Other U.S. Forest Service rules include it is common practice not to take all the mushrooms from a certain area, leaving some behind allows to stash or return year after year. Finding a mushroom community and leaving more. Thankfully, people who love mushrooms are far easier than tracking down a morel. Finding a mycological society or club is the best place to start and safely forage while learning from others. There's the Colorado Mycological Society, Pike Peaks Mycological Society, and the new Roaring Fork Group forming out of Carbondale since summer. The nonprofit groups teach classes, have monthly forays and lectures to educate those fascinated by fungi. The Colorado Mycological Society is working on a publishing book about foraging mushrooms that will include mushrooms, about 70 edible species of mushrooms in the state. And there's your update on the Colorado mushroom hunt. Sounds like yeah. an adventure. Hey, your, okay. your audio's getting weaker on my end here. Um, my audio's you getting be, weaker? You must be far away from your microphone or something. The I've one been I can far hear away. Um, I can barely hear it just start. Now I can really, like, fade it completely. Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. 
There's something that's like altering my audio, but I don't know what it is, and it keeps on making me quieter and quieter. Anyways, in our next story, we have been talking about how it's been harder and harder for the UK and the EU to be trading foodstuffs and animal and all sorts of agricultural goods. And now we're starting to see the first not-for-EU labels appearing in supermarkets. That's right, now people in the UK can no longer export some of their stuff, and it has to stay in the UK and be bought in the UK, and that's it. Uh, featured here is a label from Northern Ireland, uh, with Northern Ireland beef rump steak, and it says UK only, not for EU. And born in the UK, reared in the UK, slaughtered in the UK. Okay, cut in the UK as well. It's everything, and it has to be, and it has to also stay in there. That also has to stay in the UK. This is from right. Joanna Partridge. The first not for you labels have appeared on food products sold in Northern Ireland in a sign for consumers of the changes resulting from the Windsor Framework deal that updated the region's post-Brexit arrangements. As part of the framework announced in February and designed... Stupid. And the... <laughs> I said England is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Designed to end the long-running dispute between EU and UK over the Northern Ireland Protocol, new labeling is being introduced for certain retail goods moving from Great Britain to Northern Ireland. Not for ye EU labels have been spotted on their own brand meat products sold at ASDA, making it the first supermarket to change the packaging in advance of the deadline, as first report reported by the BBC. From the start of October, businesses will be required to use such labels on the meat and some dairy products moved to Northern Ireland, while this scheme will be rolled out for the rest of the UK in further two phases by July 2025. The new labeling is required under the Northern Ireland Retail Movement Scheme, part of the framework that allows pre-packaged retail goods, including meat and fresh price... I don't know what fresh price is. Meat and fresh price. It must be a British term. And certain loose goods, such as fruit and vegetables, will be transported from Great Britain through a green lane to Northern Ireland. The new labels are designed to ensure that the goods are not moved onwards into the EU, for example, to Republic of Ireland. Because even though they're on the same place, right, you better not take your English beef uh, the rest of the Republic of Ireland. It's staying in Northern Ireland. Do not cross the border with your beef. I don't care if you're going to a cookout in the Republic of Ireland. You are not allowed to take your beef across the border, okay? Because Brexit. <laughs> That's the only reason this is happening. If no, if Ireland would just reunite and be Ireland again, it would be everything would be easier. But I, we're not doing that, and, I guess. And Scotland got its independence. Yeah. Okay. The protocol was contentious because it resulted in an open trade border on the island of Ireland, but in effect created a sea border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, making trading more expensive and more complicated. I think it's already, yeah, definitely has. The products that arrived in Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK were subject to checks and controls, a move that prompted political instability instability and drew protests from the Democratic Unionist Party. Of course, because they would like to join with Ireland, their Unionist Party. Uh, <laughs> they would like to reunion with the rest of Ireland. Retailers, including a chair chair of Marks and Spencers, previously attacked the Northern Ireland Protocol rules for sending food between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, calling them highly bureaucratic and pretty pointless. However, supermarkets, including M&S, have also previously urged the government not to consider adding separate labeling for goods that sold in Northern Ireland, saying the that would cause add costs for retailers and customers. Some retailers have expressed concern that businesses have not had enough time to prepare for the scheduled labeling change, which could mean that not all companies comply with the new rules when they are introduced in October. However, the government suggested in its most recent guidance that it may not fully enforce the new rules in the initial period after the introduction. An updated issue in late July by the Department for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs stated that the procedures will be in place during the first few months of the new scheme to ensure that authorized food traders will be able to benefit from the green lane between Green Bra Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Now, some viewers out there might be questioning, why the hell do you have to have food labels anyways? Well, the answer is that what if you think you're eating an EU-grade piece of beef and you find worms in it or something, and then you're like, hey, what the hell, this doesn't follow the guidelines of food safety, I'm gonna sue someone, the company or something, you know? <laughs> and then the company's gonna be like, oh no, 
we bought wormy meat or something, uh, whatever. But this now they can say, okay, this was from the UK. This is UK grade meat, so I should exce- ex- expect worms. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you have oh, a certain no. expectation, obviously, and uh, this mostly helps businesses. Uh, I think with liability. You know, the government has said we graded it. They said we perfectly made our beef correctly according to UK standards. So if you're expecting EU standards, go to the Republic of Ireland because that's the only place you're going to find it. <laughs> On to your next story. Okay, this is, uh, again, this is weird Wednesday, not necessarily wacky Wednesday. Not, none of our stories are really wacky, you know. Um... We're just gonna we're gonna delve into uh, we know Robbie Robertson passed away uh, about ten days ago and uh, is uh, probably the biggest song as far as impact was the weight which people don't even know the name of the song they just know the chorus take the load off Fanny put the load on me and we're gonna explore all the characters in the five verses of the song are actually real people in real life. And this is a story from Tom Taylor of Far Out Magazine. So he dropped some, speaking of shrooms, he probably dropped some shrooms and wrote a nice article. No, just kidding. On the surface, the band seems like a terrible name for all purposes other than expiring Abbott and Costello comedy routines. However, when you delve into the backstory and what they represent, the picture becomes a lot clearer and the name seems a lot more like, seems like the only one fitting. In 1957, Jack Kerouac's On the Road was first published. He opening open any given modern copy, and you may well find Bob Dylan printed into the sleeve proclaiming, It changed my life like it changed everyone else's. The tale of catching culture on the wing is one that spawned a generation of beats who followed in his footsteps and wave, wavered a gingham-clad path across the breadth of a bulging continent. Oh boy, looking at John Steinbeck sitting Sarah. Huh? This was essentially the life that the band seemed to live. Consisted of Rick Danko, Richard Manuel, Garth Hudson, Lee Von Helm, and Robbie Robertson. They highlighted that high they hightailed across America, pervading its various subcultures, encountering its most quirky characters and weaving their own legacy along the way. They could aptly be described as a pariah group of musicians equivalent to boxing journeymen waiting for the next big fight like Terry Malloy. Their bouts, however, were about coming together rather than settling differences. Covering all corners of North America, this band of brothers happened upon each other in a cultural march that could be fresh for the pages of On the Road itself. Levon Helm was from Arkansas, but he picked up Robbie Robertson on Ontario, Canada, where musicians could ask could ask for a higher price. Thereafter, the other members slotted in place, offering a jigsaw of influence. Then their journey slowly towards their own debut af- album after being the backing band for legends like Bob Dylan. And when their spotlight finally landed them, they landed on them, they proved themselves to be one of the very best. The journey is in some ways defined by the song The Weight. Not only is it one of their finest, but the story behind it also illuminates the world that the band arose from. As LeVon Helm writes in his memoir, The Wheels on Fire, LeVon Helm, the story of the band, we had two or three tunes or pieces of tunes and The Weight was one of work one I would work on. Robbie had that bit about going to Nazareth, Pennsylvania, where the Martin Guitar Factory is at. The song was full of our favorite characters. He explains Luke was Jimmy Ray Paulman. Young Anna Lee was Anna Lee Williams from Turkey Scratch. Crazy Chester was a guy we all know from Fayetteville who came to, into town on Saturdays wearing a full set of cap guns in, on his hips and kind of walked around town to help keep the peace if you follow me. He was like Hopalong Cassidy and he was a friend to the Hawks. Ronnie would always check with Crazy Chester to make sure there wasn't any trouble around, and Chester would assure him that everything was peaceable and not to worry because he was on the case. Two big cap guns he wore, plus a toupee. This quirky assortment, coupled with the way the band pulled the music together, defines the nature of the group. As Helm concludes, there was also Carmen and the Devil, Miss Moses and Fanny, a name that just seemed to fit the picture, but I believe she looked a lot like Caledonia. 
We recorded the song maybe four times. We weren't really sure it was going to be on the album, but people really liked it. Rick, Richard, and I would switch the verses around among us. We all sang the chorus. Put the load right on me. That is the Let's go to the next story. That's it then. That's it. We moved on to the next story. Seamlessly on to the next story. That's it, man. The That's story it. of the oh, okay. of the way. Oh yes. Crazy Chester was a guy with cap guns. <laughs> keeping keeping the law. A little bit out of his mind. Go ahead. Alright, uh, not much happening in culture right now except for that Greek museum thing I talked about earlier, but I remember maybe two weeks ago we talked about how female DJs are starting to show up at the Notting Hills Carnival, and of course there's somebody who doesn't like Caribbean culture, so they're angry oh that black people exist. Uh, uh, uh. Tory London mayor candidate criticized for offensive Notting Hill Carnival views. This is from Weena Mason, the Whitehall editor. The conservative mayoral candidate for London has been criticized for saying that the dangerous Notting Hill Carnival should be moved and claimed there was a problem with crime in the black community. <laughs> I said that with emphasis because they're quotes. So she directly said those words and didn't think about her political career whatsoever. David Lammy said it was astonishing that someone running to be capital mayor had expressed such offensive views openly without thinking about it. No. That's me. I said that part. Like, how do you... I hope nobody will take my racist things wrongly. I'm just being rational here. You see, my worldview is not the only one. I don't get it. The Shadow Foreign Secretary, a London MP, was asked about Susan Hall's comments a week before the Notting Hill Carnival was due to be held in London, with almost 2 million people expected to celebrate Caribbean culture and community in the biggest carnival in Europe. Shit, man, we should go. When is it again? When is it? Notting, Notting Hill Carnival. It's in England, though, right? Yeah, uh, it's in London, which is not hard to get to. No. I'll look it up later. Anyways. Yeah. It's, it's in two weeks, it says, so. Maybe. Hall has repeatedly said it should be moved away from its location of Notting Hill, but then it can't be called the Notting Hill Carnival. It has to be called something else. Where it's been held since 1966. Which 2020, she said that every time? resident every year goes through the hell. That is astonishing that the carnival was allowed to go ahead in its current location and asked, why do we permit this vandalism every year? How about you move not out of Notting Hill? I don't know. I attended Notting Hill Carnival last year, 2019, to understand the police operations, she said at the time. It was unbelievable. I, I did, didn't think that public the public realized just how dangerous it can get. Astonishing that we should put our police in this position every year and the cost of taxpayers is eye-watering. Okay, first of all, it's good that the public don't realize how dangerous it can get. That's what the police are for. If the police are in a dangerous situation, that's what they signed up for as police. Just, what? What is going on? That's like you you, you want to be on an oil rig, well, but you might get injured points. on an oil rig. Then don't work in an oil rig. I don't understand this concept here. Police should not be in a dangerous situation ever. Police are there to make sure that everyone else isn't in a dangerous situation. So, when it returned, when I returned to the capital after COVID last year, Hall said, "Of course, police officers dread it. There's always violence. They put it in themselves in danger at every Notting Hill Carnival. The cost of policing is eye-watering. How long can it be allowed to continue in this way? Crazy." Can you explain how it's actually happening instead of just telling me that it's crazy and dangerous, but you're not saying how it's dangerous? Well, you see, there's black people there, and then they don't like police officers. <gasps> so they're kind of rude to them. <gasps> it's so dangerous. Like, please tell me, are people being murdered at the Notting Hill Carnival? Are people's cars being broken into and destroyed and stabbings? Like, give me information on how it's dangerous instead of just saying it's dangerous. Trust me. The source, me. Just trust me, bro. In 2019, she said the carnival had become too big and should be moved, despite saying it was an incredible event. She added, I've already said on Twitter that I think the carnival should be moved for the safety of the police, the innocent that <laughs> attend the po and the poor residents live in the area, because some of the but stories are appalling. Police, no matter where they go. Yeah. The police are never safe. That's the, the job you sign up for. Paul is not alone in suggesting moving to the Notting Hill Carnival. Ken Livingstone, the London mayor, floated the idea of starting the carnival in Hyde Park. 
proceeded to its original venue, but this proposal was abandoned after opposition. Honestly, a Hyde Park wouldn't be so bad. It's a very big park, but uh, it's this Karen's name. Uh, this oh the Karen, her name is I already forgot her name as well. Susan Hall. She is. She looks to be about sixty. So you have to What's answer for her. Let's hear her but oh my goodness, somebody's having fun. Let me stop it. Yeah. Well, like I said, she's saying she's heard tragic heard stories, me. but she's not telling me what the stories are. Yeah. Uh, the Metropolitan Police Federation also called for the route to be changed last year, saying they did not have the resources to police it effectively. Last year, one person was fatally stabbed, and more than 70 police were injured, and 200 arrests were made. Thank you for giving me some information about how dangerous it is. One person was stabbed. A spokesperson for Hall said that she made no apology for condemning violence at public events and demonstrations, and that she was proud to celebrate London's diverse communities. The conservative candidate has also criticized Black Lives Matter protesters after the murder of George Floyd in the U.S. She said of the June 2020 London March, with thousands of people turning out in support of Black Lives Matter, what a surprise, There's prote these protests have turned violent, says no one. She actually said that. Oh, black people are, are congregating in a group and then they beat each other up. <laughs> Typical black people. That's what she's basically saying. Yeah, we get that's it. Paraphrasing what she's meaning by her. What that's, that's what's in the freaking in between the lines here. Of course, hey, black people her. would start killing each other if there's more than two of them around. Take our racism straight in this country. Uh, we got like we got Tommy Tuberville telling everybody we can't give rape reparations reparations for slavery. They're all criminals. That's what he actually said. That's what he actually <laughs> said to the crowd. Oh, speech and everybody's like, did he just say that? <laughs> wow. Every single he's a black senator, a senator. As soon as I'm they sorry. leave the room, they stab somebody. That is how black people work in America. He represents 100%. an entire state. That's who this guy is. He was a football coach, a big time one too. Yeah. Can you imagine the protest in reality? Yeah. In reality, the protest was peaceful for most of the day, but later there were clashes with police, probably because the police wanted to go home and eat dinner, and they still had to watch these black people walking around doing their protest. Ah, hurry, let's oh, start no. a riot so that we can go home. This, no, this overtime I'm getting is not going to cover this. Yeah, not at least a dozen arrests were made, and the police fell from a police officer fell from her horse. Oh God, the tragedy. She wasn't injured, okay. but she did fall from her horse. Let's not minimize it, but yeah. falling from a horse sucks. Okay. Yeah. In 2021, Hall tweeted, please don't ever mistake me for a BLM supporter. So she's not, she's blowing that dog whistle. Lamy said, mm -hmm. in London, we are proud of our diversity and it's something we celebrate and see as a strength, not a weakness. London has been shaped in many ways by black and Caribbean culture and heritage. And there is no greater celebration of this than the Notting Hill Carnival, which is famous around the world. For someone running to be mayor of London and to express these offensive views about Notting Hill Carnival and London's black communities is astonishing. But it's just another example of how the Tory candidate is a hard right politician who is out of touch and does not share London's values. It's also deeply worrying that someone running for mayor of a city as diverse as London has spoken out so aggressively against those campaigning for greater racial justice. Her views make her totally unfit to be mayor. Hall has previously been criticized for having said in February 2022 in a London Assembly Committee that a major problem was being accused of racism for expressing some of her opinions in relation to crime in the black community. Problem with crime with the, uh, problems with crime within the black community is something I have brought up constantly because we needed to assist those communities. The problem is, the minute we do, we are accused of being racist or as near damn racist as possible. Oh god, this... Alert is repeating itself over and over again. I wonder why it's doing that. Nuclear war, baby. <laughs> I'm not sure why it's doing that. No, it's gonna keep doing yeah. it now. But I'm not sure why. You're not gonna nerd that mushroom cloud. I'm not sure where it's coming from. I'm hearing the audio for it, but I'm not not sure where it's coming okay, from. Well... Give me a sec. I need a thank you for following, okay, by the way. You... Can we just move on to the next story then? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, just move on to your next story. Uh, basically, she's saying she's not racist, uh, even though she said racist stuff. And God forbid she has an opinion that can affect people's lives. And here's a fun fact about black-on-black -black crime. Every single community has 
It's self on itself crime. White on white crime right. is the highest on white and white crime. Latino on Latino is the highest with Latino on Latino crime. The interracial crime is actually is. less common than a white person beating up another white person, a black be person beating up another black person, or any other race. They guess what you hate your fellow people okay that's how it works and you beat up nobody is going out there and saying hey look a white guy let's get him that's not happening so anyways on to uh <laughs> this day in history most crime is personal is what you're saying yeah it's not like oh no total strangers are hurting total strangers it doesn't happen that often that's why serial killers are so rare yeah Right? And they're harder to catch because they're totally random. Okay, in, in 1514, in this day in history, the Ottomans won a decisive victory over the Safadids of Iran in the Battle of Chaldran. That's why we call those footstools Ottomans and not Safadids. <laughs> Just kidding. Excuse me. 1849, English poet and critic, editor... William Ernest Henley, who introduced the early work of many great English writers of the 1890s in his journals, was born in Gloucester. In 1826, the great lover motion picture actor Rodel... Ro Jesus, man. <laughs> his mouth is not working. Start again. 1926, the, the great lover motion picture actor... Rudolph Valentino died suddenly at the age of 31, prompting widespread public grief from his fans. In 1927, Italian immigrants Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti, Sacco and Vanzetti, were executed for murder in Massachusetts despite a mishandled trial and widespread belief they were innocent. They were immigrants after all, they must have been guilty. 1939, Germany and the Soviet Union signed a non-aggression pact dividing the Eastern Europe into German and Soviet spheres of influence. In 1973, a botched bank robbery in Stockholm resulted in a hostage situation over the course of a six-day standoff. Captives formed an unlikely bond with their captor, giving rise to the term the Stockholm Syndrome. So there you go, you know where that came from now. Came directly from Stockholm. 1978, American basketball player Kobe Bryant, one of the NBA's leading players of the earliest 21st century, was born in Philadelphia. In 2000, the first season of the U.S. version of the reality TV game show Survivor ended, with Richard Hatch being pronounced the winner. The hugely popular series was launching the reality TV fad, which ruined television. Oh, I, that's my editorial. Sorry. Totally ruined television, because it's not reality. It just isn't. Sorry. 2011, after rebel forces captured his compound in Tripoli, in Tripoli, Muammar Gaddafi's four-decade rule of Libya ended. Although his whereabouts were initially unknown, he was discovered two months later in the Libyan city of Sirte and killed. And featured event in this day, speaking of people getting killed, William Wallace was executed on this day. William Wallace was executed for treason, condemned for leading a Scottish resistance force during the first years of long and ultimately successful struggles to free Scotland from its English rule. I'm still mad about it. Anyway. And that was in this day in 1305. I didn't put that down. William Wallace was executed. And the birthdays today, Queen Noor is the Queen of Jordan. She was born in 1951. Uh... Baron Georges Cuvier, French zoologist, was born on this day in 1769. Clifford Gertz, American anthropologist, born in 1926. American dancer Gene Kelly was born on this day in 1912. And we just covered the French zoologist guy. Okay, today is what day? It is National Sponge Cake Day. So it's it's a cake and it's a sponge. Mm, so I want to eat some like sponge cake. And it's also the international for the remembrance of the slave trade and its abolition. International Day for Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its abolition. And also reparations. Yeah, we were just talking yeah, about reparations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Piss off the, the the people that are like, I can't believe I'm wealthy just because of slavery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you are. are. 
Yeah, everything so many generations. Everything has been built by them. At least in right. America, everything was built mm -hmm. by them. National Ride the Wind Day. I wouldn't say everything. Everything in the South was. <laughs> National Ride the Wind Day, which is probably about uh, hang gliding, I imagine. National <laughs> Cuban Sandwich Day. Ooh, What's good. a Cuban sandwich? Cuban sandwich, you take it. It's like a regular sandwich, except you put it in a press and you press it down. Oh! Press. Yeah, okay. yeah, and it smashes Flat. it. Yeah, and it's just one compact thing. And, you know, it's like easy to fit in your mouth. You probably shove the whole thing in your mouth now. I'll let swallow it in one go. Yeah, for sure. That's right. And then constipated for a week. Black Ribbon Day is today. What's Black Ribbon Day? Why would you wear a black ribbon? Isn't you're like it for no. Or something bad? It's the European Day of Remembrance for Victims of Stalinism and Nazism. Yeah, there you go. I know sure. something bad. To do with wars. It is Black Ribbon Day in Europe. So wear your black ribbon. You see oh, people shit. walking around black ribbons I need a black ribbon. Uh, I don't have any. If you don't have a black ribbon, take your regular ribbon and set it on fire. It'll turn black. <laughs> Won't be a ribbon anymore either. So I, gotta, I need to make a ribbon real quick. I have a black ribbon. <laughs> get a, just get some black material and cut it and pin it to your shirt. That's all you need. Make yeah, a ribbon. Uh, there you go. My really Do long black cross ribbon. Thing and there you go. You got you got yourself a ribbon. All right, that's it. That's all there is today. Cuban sandwiches, black ribbons, and I'm not done. wind and Wait, I'm not done wrapping my ribbon here. <laughs> International Slave Remembrance I'm trying to make Day. a ribbon real quick. My black ribbon here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is Remembrance of Stalin, victims of Stalin and Nazis, which is not a laughing matter. Uh, Stalin oh, killed no. a lot of people. The Nazis killed a lot of people. And some people you know might be victims of that. Go, in go their stand in front of Anne Frank House. Go stand also, in front of Anne Frank House and, and pay remembrance to yeah. all the victims of the Holocaust. Also, to uh, to remark on the earlier story about Greece, the British yeah. occupied Greece between during the World War II and at, shortly after when they had a rebellion, and some people were killed because of British occupa occupation, including the people that helped them defeat the Nazis. So it's a big kind of black sore on British history. So of course Cyprus. they deny ever occupying the the Greeks because then they would have to also agree that they were not very nice occupiers to the Greeks. Well, I know during it, that time, Cyprus was famously a refugee camp for Jews. Yeah. Yeah. So it had to be, man that was managed by the British. I do remember that. Okay. Otherwise, this has been Allison here. I'm going to get sponge cake. I'm going to go shopping and buy some sponge cake and eat a Cuban sandwich. And I'll see you on Thursday for, I guess, whatever is happening. Dark news Thursday. Or whatever. Thursday. We'll have more non. We'll have more linear news tomorrow. It's a yeah, odd sure. assortment. But again, that's what we do here. We don't care what their news is, what the headlines are. We dig below the bullshit. <laughs> and that's it for August twenty third, twenty twenty three edition of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.